There was never any option other than me being a photographer. I've never had a plan B. I took a class called the History of Photography and that just blew up my world. I thought, okay, I absolutely want to spend all of my time reading about this, seeing this, sort of just being um, absorbed in this world. And that, well, that was that. I was hooked. Welcome to the We Are Photographers podcast from Creative Live. I'm your host, Kenneth Klosterman, bringing you true stories from behind the lens and behind the lives of your favorite photographers, filmmakers, and creative industry game changers. From their struggles to their wins, we get the real human stories about why they do what they do. I believe there is something to learn from everyone's story. Listen, get inspired, and discover why in the end, your creative journey is all worth it. Victoria Will began her career in the photography industry as a photojournalist and has since transitioned her focus to celebrity portraiture, editorial, and commercial assignments. Her characteristically authentic portraiture has appeared in the pages of Vogue, New York Times, Rolling Stone, ESPN, W Magazine, with commercial campaigns for brands such as Levi's, Netflix, Hulu, Bose, and Ralph Lauren. Victoria's first monograph, Born Back, is a collection of tintype portraits. This is We Are Photographers with Victoria Will, and this is her story. Victoria Will, so fabulous to have you on We Are Photographers. Thank you for joining us all the way from your studio in New York. Thank you for having me. It's great to talk to you. So, Victoria, I just want to start out with today, and well, then we'll go back in history, but not literally today, but today in general. What is the most exciting thing that you are working on right now? Oh. That you can talk that's about. That's a great question. Yeah, yes, of course. Um, so, the most exciting thing, I have been doing a lot more entertainment uh, photography, which specifically means... Mm, TV posters, movie posters, Netflix, uh, Hulu, things like that, which is a very different side of the industry, to be honest. What has been different about that? Because I did see that in your in your portfolio on your website, and I was like, "Ooh, she did that. She did that. That's super cool." <laughs> um, what What is different about doing that type of work? Well, it's. There are a lot of people involved, first of all. So by the time a photographer is brought on, they've already, you know, most of the time they've already written the show and cast the show and very often have even been in production and are filming. Um, So things are, you know, the train has left the station uh, way before I'm ever brought on board. And I'm such a small part of it. Um, I get brought in to... Um, you know, to execute an idea that uh, will end up being the the poster. We call it the key art. So um, I'll be given, you know, many ideas that other people have been working on, people directly related to the show, um, the showrunner, the director, maybe the, you know, and then of course the marketing people at the respective locations of CBS or Netflix or Amazon, that type of thing. And, um, and it sort of exercises a side of my brain that I, I don't get to use that often. It's 
such a different world in terms of television and everything that's out there now. So I'd imagine that it's, it also feels good to see, you know, to see, to be part of that type of work, um, which is exciting. Take us back in time to when you first started your photography career and what was the first time that you had that similar moment where I'm sure, you know, it wasn't necessarily your image on a bus, but something equivalent to where you were at that time in your career. I had a a, sort of a different path to where I am now. I started out as a photojournalist for the New York Post. I work specifically in newspapers for a long time. So I sort of had, I had this amazing job, but when I went freelance, that was sort of, uh, that was the game changer. You know, I was trying to change the type of work I was doing. I was trying to expand who I was as a photographer and that was sort of the sink or swim. But I did have a, you know, my husband was an incredible support in that. And I always say that because it's very scary to quit a job and just go out on a limb. Um, and I did have, you know, I did sort of have a, a cushion that is my husband. So I don't want to insist, you know, I don't want people out there listening to think, okay, I'm just going to go quit my job, become a photographer. But at the same time, there was never any option other than me being a photographer. I've never had a plan B. There's just, that's just, this was always going to be it. And I, um, when did you first know that? I wanted to be a photographer when I was in college, it was a long, um, path to it, but I, I went to Rome just to study, uh, for a month, one summer and I, in Florence, and I actually came back to school and said, okay, I'm going to be an art history major because I loved what I had been surrounded by. And then while I was working on this art history degree, I took a class called the history of photography and that just blew up my world. I thought, okay, I absolutely want to spend all of my time reading about this, seeing this sort of just being, um, absorbed in this world. And that, that's what I, I knew that I loved photography. So from there I had to figure out what was my role going to be in photography. And I, thought maybe I'd be a museum curator or I wasn't really sure, but I started taking pictures um, within the program, just the photography program at my school. And I, well, that was that. I was hooked. So Uh, I want to talk about, I knew I wanted to talk about your book, but in terms of images that do feel so intimate and so um, stopping you in your tracks, um, are this whole series of tintypes uh, that you've created for your book, Born Back. So let's talk just a little bit about the book itself, why you created it, and then, um, yeah, let's start start there. Sure. So the book itself um, was created several years after I made the body of work. So um, oddly, when I first made the tintypes, the end goal was not a book. Um, of course, who, uh, who doesn't want to have a, a, you know, their, their work publishes a book. I, that was always one of my goals. Um, but I didn't, that wasn't the, um, the root of where it came from. I made those on assignment, sort of a, I tacked it on to, um, an assignment that I had at Sundance and I 
when I first started the very first year I did it, I was hoping I didn't know much about the tintype process. I'd done a lot of reading, watched YouTube videos, talked to a lot of people, but I personally was still very green. And I thought if I went to Sundance and had made something, you know, 10, 15 plates, that would be a, a successful outing. You know, I would have, it's sort of, it's a small portfolio, it's the start of something. Um, but it was much bigger than that unexpectedly. And I photographed, um, two years using a tintype process at Sundance. Cause I had been going for years and went a few years after, but, um, just specifically doing tintype, I did two years and then the work went out into the world. And then I kind of put it on the shelf for a little while. And it wasn't until later when I was approached by, um, peanut press that they said, we think this could be an interesting book. And I thought, well, Hey, <laughs> I would, let's do this. It's, it seemed like I, ha um, I actually think it was a blessing that it, the timing worked the way it did because I had taken a step back and wasn't so close to the work. So I could make, you know, tougher edits, I think. And, and my decision-making wasn't wrapped up in the emotion of the project. Cause for me, the project was, um, incredibly difficult, very challenging. Why? Uh, um, well, a lot of it has to do with the pace of Sundance. The first thing is that I, as I'm already just, um, was telling you, I, I I'm, well, I'm not an expert in any way. So the, um, the unknowns were very stressful <laughs> because as they came, we would troubleshoot and, um, it's already a finicky medium. So at the end of every day, so t t first you have those. And then at the end of every day, I would have to scan the tin types and then, um, caption them. And that's on top of the digital portraits that I was doing there. So I was, my team and I worked basically around the clock and we'd be going to bed at four or five and getting up to go back to the studio at eight and just do it all over again. And it was exhilarating and it was, um, a lot of fun, but it was, um, it was exhausting, but I also just loved what was happening. I loved the images. So I felt very connected to them. And, um, it just was, um, probably the first time that I, uh, had sort of birthed the idea and then followed the process through to fruition, you know, and actually created the images in a long time that I hadn't done sort of a quote unquote personal project. And so I just, there was a lot riding on it for me emotionally. It might sound strange. I don't know. It's just, it was, it was, I mean, sometimes when I fly through Salt Lake city, I have a pang of PTSD about going, <laughs> driving up the mountain over the mountain to go to Sundance. Cause it was just, it's very challenging. Um, and of course, you're, I put way too much pressure on myself, but at the time I see that in retrospect, but that's, that's part of, that was part of why it was so hard. I just really wanted to make it work. And then as it started to really unfold and I, it was really becoming a successful project. I just sort of 
grabbed onto it. I don't know. It's hard to describe. Well, I think, I mean, A, if you, if you look at the work, like we said, we're going back to something that's intimate, something where you are making personal connections with the, the people that you're photographing, which, by the way, we didn't even talk about is celebrities, many celebrities who were there at Sundance. And so there's that level of um, challenge and and I'd imagine if you have a short amount of time with these people and you're working with a new process that's different and has the propensity to you know n- not come out right or what have you I can understand yeah. why um, it would be and you're somebody that puts a lot of pressure on yourself I can totally get it because <laughs> I'm that way too I was just gonna say I think at a certain point I just became very proud of it and that yeah. was uh, that was part of it you know it was I think I just hearing you recite it back um, in that way, it's like, well, yeah, I just, I, the, and there wasn't a lot of work in my portfolio prior to that, that I had, you know, I felt that way about. I had a lot of individual imagery for sure, but not necessarily a project or body of work. So it, it felt different. Yeah. And that's a really good point in that it's, it's a body of work. And therefore, again, multi-year, um, that it does become personal and and emotional. What were those sort of, what is it about the process? Because probably a lot of people listening, myself included, I've never created a tintype, but I just love the look and feeling of it. Like, how does that craft aspect play into the way that you felt or the way that other people feel looking at the images? Because it's a tangible thing and because I felt like I was making something and I, I can explain the process um, in a second, but be- I think because it was sort of going back to the roots of photography that I know, which is, uh, you know, being in a dark room and actually holding something at the end of it, um, that became very special, especially at a time, you know, in the digital era where we just don't see that, you know, and everything is very processed and retouched. Um, so what was great about this is every time, um, we made a plate, so you, you take a piece of aluminum and you coat it with something called collodion and you stick it in silver nitrate. This is a very, um, quick version of it, but, uh, of how it's done, at that point it's light sensitive. You put it in a film holder and put in the camera, make an image, and then you have to develop it right then while it's still wet. And then after that, you're holding your image. So it's just a very, um, satisfying and, uh, experience. And every time it would start to come up in, you know, in the tray, I just would get excited. I still do every time. Not, it hasn't gotten old, um, and I and I think that the people that I was photographing, the talent, really appreciated that as well. You know, they're actors and directors and you know people that they're creatives, so they they appreciated this going out on a limb here. Um, but I also think they liked seeing themselves in a slightly different light and on a piece of metal. I mean, it's pretty it's pretty cool. I thinking about that whole process, but. I think once what one thing that you um, just said that triggered something for me is that I don't really separate me from my work. I think a lot of professions you can do that. Um, 
so how I'm feeling as a human in life often reflects how I'm feeling about my work. I mean, they're related. I, it's a very deep, <laughs> complex relationship. I'm sure there are a lot of photographers or artists out there listening. You probably can relate. Um, but for me, they tend to be one and the same. So, so when something goes wrong, then you put it on yourself, even if it might not be because you're so closely tied to the work. Like, how mm -hmm. do you how do you emotionally get over that? Oh, well, having a, a shoot that's not successful is. I mean, it's terrible. <laughs> I don't want to over, you know, exaggerate and say that it's devastating because I think there are a lot of terrible things to put it into perspective. But um, when you have to get up and shoot again the next day, I mean, I think that's what I do. I just show up all the time. I've just, you just have to keep going. And I think there's, it's very hard to do that when you've had um, a bad shoot. It's, you, you lose confidence. You're, um, you wonder, you overanalyze all of the reasons why things went wrong or if I, where were the mistakes made, but that's also the learning experience in it. Those things have to happen to make you a better photographer. And a better human. I mean, in, in whatever, oh, in whatever aspect Absolutely. of your life we're talking about. Yeah, um, exactly. Well, that's to say when, you know, I, 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 my work is very much attached to who I am, but I'm, I also think it's important to put it all into perspective. Like I am so lucky in that I get to do what I love um, as a career but I also, um, but you know, it's, it's, I'm making art and or I'm making images and, and that, that's, I take it very seriously and, and I think it has its place, but you know, in the bigger picture there, you know, you have, you have to keep the perspective. Sure. I mean, that, that goes for life in general, but and exactly. I don't know how this is. I'm, this is like a therapy session here. I'm like, let's talk the deeper meaning of, <laughs> I told you that's what this was really about. This podcast. <laughs> well, I love it. I'm, you're I'm not, the, you're not the first one who has said at the end, like, wow, I feel like that was a therapy session. <laughs> it's because we all, especially creatives, but, and I, and we here believe there's a creator in all of us. So it's not just whether you're working in in a creative field but you know whatever it is business people are creative you know everything um and it's just a creating is is making something out of nothing is whatever that is that day um mm -hmm. but i think that uh, we all connect on these sort of human aspects of what's hard and how we get through it um and and then what what successes look like. So I'm curious if where you are in your career now, if success looks different than when it did when you were an intern at the post. Oh yeah, for sure. It's, it's funny as at that time, maybe it was my age or, um, just who I was. I think success was making images that sort of looked like everybody else's in the sense that, oh, if I could just take a picture like that, then I would have, you know, the cover of a magazine. Or if I took a picture like that, then I would 
you know, check this box. And that um, is the opposite of where I am now. Now I'm always wondering how I can evolve. You know, when I'm approaching a shoot, I'm looking for something I haven't seen before because I've, I've been shooting a long time now and I'm, I'm going, okay, well, how am I going to evolve? What else, what else is out there? And so I'm rather than drawing on all of the people before me, I was so literal. I was like, Oh, I need to make an Annie Leibovitz photo. I need to make a, um, you know, an Irving Penn photo or to be, you know, considered a serious portrait photographer. Some, you know, I don't know. That's makes no sense now when I think about it. And now it's the opposite. It's sort of, you know, where's my, where am I going? Where's my, where is my point of view going? And I think it's so important to always evolve as a photographer. Um, that's sort of a lifelong question, I think. And, but that is success to me when I, when I, uh, uh, you know, I like my, the people that I'm working for or the people that I'm shooting to have had a good time and be pleased with how things went. But again, that's that people pleaser in me, <laughs> but on a personal level, I just would like to make something that stops me in my tracks. And I don't do that every shoot. That's just, I don't have the bandwidth for that. Um, I'm not sure who, if anybody does. And if you do, please tell me the secret. But, um, you know, when that does happen, then it's really special. Are you a perfectionist? Uh, hilarious question. I Someone else asked me that recently. My mother tells me that I was a crazy perfectionist when I was young. And one of the things that really helped me is that I, um, my brother rode horses and I decided I wanted to learn to ride and I fell in love with horses. And she thinks that that was the best thing that could have happened to me because you just, you have to, you have to fail. That's just how it goes. Um, I don't think I had this conversation very recently. It's really funny that you mentioned that I didn't think that I was still a perfectionist. And then I sort of looked at the wider picture a little bit and, and listened to my friend sort of, um, talk about it. And I realized that I think, I think I'm always striving for perfection. And that's the definition of being a perfectionist, because of course, no one's perfect. Um, and I hadn't thought of it that way. And I don't know, I don't know any other way. So I know that I make mistakes, I think it's particularly in my work. But again, that's, that's how you grow. And I, um, I guess I don't know people who aren't striving for perfection. Is that weird? Or, I don't know. I should ask my friends. I mean, aren't we trying to be the best person well, every day or make the right, the, the right choices every day? Tell me, please educate me on this. Cause I'm like, wait a minute. Do I, who's not trying to be perfect? <laughs> I, I asked that question because, um, I am also, um, I like to say sometimes I suffer from perfectionism <laughs> or I, because I, to me, it can get in the way. Um, and when you said you're a people pleaser, like I'm also a people pleaser and, and so, I think that there are some sort of personality traits uh, that can get in the way of, of when you are trying to, um, to please other people in sort of everything that you do, uh, and sometimes above and beyond what you need to be true to yourself. 
um, that this is me maybe projecting my own um, <laughs> my own things uh, onto the concept in and of itself. But no, I think I think ambitious and and perfectionism are are definitely two different things. But I think it's interesting that you tied the amb- the ambition to that. I don't know. Does any of that resonate with you? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that when I think about how I've grown as a photographer or an artist or a human being, it's really in, um, having a, an understanding and being, and being self-aware enough to know when those things are getting in the way and, or making you unhappy or, you know, bringing some sort of making something sort of toxic in your, in your world and your energy and knowing how to remove those or how to sort of shut that down when necessary or compartmentalize it. However, you know, one does, but that's sort of maturity to me, I guess (laughs) is to, to sort of see the difference because it definitely gets in the way. Yeah. Um, I don't think I'm a very competitive person. I was fiercely competitive as an athlete in high school and I, I, and I am always wondering what changed and I, and I think it came much more a competition with myself. And that's sort of that drive for perfectionism, which is, it's just a funny word because I'm not trying to be perfect. I'm just trying, who, in the sense of what, what is perfect. I'm just trying to, you know, especially when I'm in the context of a photo shoot, I'm just trying to make the best image. I'm trying to be the best mom. You know, it's like these, these superlatives, best, best, best. It's, I think they don't mean anything. And, um, in that way, I think you're just trying to, on a photo shoot, I'm just trying to make sure that everything comes together and we make the best possible image that's capable in that right then and there. And that's sort of what you have to look at. If I leave a shoot and think, Oh man, I should have had her sit down or I should have had him do this or do this. Great. Then I write it down and I, and I try it for the next one rather than really get too hung up on it not being successful because it was successful. Right. And that's an important distinction because like this expectations that we put on ourselves, which I think is, you know, what that perfectionism can be is this like never reachable expectation uh, relative to like what the reality of something that's successful is. Um, I want to go back to then this, you as an athlete and then the horses, like what, what did you, what kind of sports did you play? And do you, um, yeah, what kind of, what was that for you? So I rode horses from a young age. I was eight. Um, my older brother has Down syndrome and he participated in a therapeutic riding program and I would always go with him. And, uh, he really enjoyed it. And, and I got hooked and riding was something, it was part of my life all the way through college, actually, I would, I worked at a barn, I taught summer camp, I taught riding lessons. And then ultimately, when I was old enough, I um, did, I taught the therapeutic riding. I was one of the many teachers. But um, that for me was just a, it was just part of who I was. There was, and then on on the high school side of it, I I played field hockey. Being part of a team was a, and, and sports was a big part of my youth. Um, even though riding is sort of an individual event, I was, I did 
show horses and I was part of a riding team. So it still, it did have that team aspect, but, um, in my high school, at least, I don't know if, if everyone's is like this, but the, the jocks and the artists were very separated, you know, sort of different groups. And I think, um, no one from my high school ever expected me to become an artist or become a photographer. I don't know what anyone expected. <laughs> we didn't have that thing in your yearbook where it said, you know, most likely to whatever. I don't know what mine would have said, but, um, I was definitely not, you know, in the, I, the one in the dark room in high school and all that stuff. I really was focused on sports. So, um, it's so interesting to me that this is how things turned out. It's just <laughs> how people change. Yeah. It just goes to show you never know, you know, how your life is going to turn. I, I, I did really appreciate, um, I saw an image on your Instagram recently of, of your brother. And you talked about having done a project uh, way back when um, that was photographing people with Down syndrome adults. And um, and so I'm curious about if you can talk further about the horse therapy, because I find that really fascinating um, and how that actually helps people. Like, what is it about the horses? Because you became a teacher as well. Yeah, sure. So, um, animals of course have, um, the ability to be wonderful companions and, you know, we, in society now we match, you know, elderly people with dogs or we have therapy dogs for people who suffer trauma, you know, things like that. And animals have a, um, they just, they know, they sense a lot of things, but they can also, um, comfort in um, a really special way. So therapeutic riding was for um, children and adults with um, intellectual disabilities and physical disabilities. So Down syndrome or autism or um, sort of anything in between. We would take the horses through sort of a rigorous program to make sure that they were suitable. Not all horses are suitable to, um, you know, to, to be in the program, but so many of them are. In fact, I remember hearing stories about there was a horse who was really difficult for adults to ride, you know, strong riders. Some of the instructors would ride him and they called him Satan. I'm not sure if this is a really, you know, an urban legend at my barn, but, but he loved children and he loved the therapeutic program. And when kids were around him, he would just change his demeanor and he would trust and they ended up using him in the therapeutic program and they called him satin on those days. <laughs> so I don't, um, I always thought that was just sort of an example, but, um, horses provide a sense of, um, stability that a lot of, that it's hard for a lot of children to, to get. And, um, there's an empowerment that comes with learning how to ride and learning how to steer a horse and learning how to uh, put on a halter. So that stuff is, a, is a lot confidence building and, team building. Um, but the animals really do, um, sense something. I remember, um, a horse got spooked one day when I was teaching in New Jersey and the boy who was on him was, um, autistic, nonverbal. And he, his feet came out of the stirrups and the horse just cantered away just, you know, maybe 15 strides. And the boy did not move. He just sat in the saddle and he didn't lean left or right. Um, 
or if he did, the horse was compensating so, and the, the boy didn't fall off. And there's really no reason why that happened. Uh, any other person would have would have probably fallen off. And I just always thought it was so amazing. The horses would know and then they would they would sort of compensate. And of course, people with intellectual disabilities and things like autism can all, you know, they're nonverbal, but yet they have an incredible balance. It's sort of there's so many powerful things that go on in these lessons that you sort of see the horses teaching the children and the, the, the children also sort of teach the horses in a way. It's so beautiful. It's incredible. What has, have you learned about being human from your brother? Um, well, one thing I'm always struck by is that my brother doesn't actually have the capacity to hate. He doesn't know what that means. He doesn't, he dislikes Brussels sprouts, but he doesn't actually hate them. There's no, when somebody's mean to him, he doesn't hate. He, he, there's not, it's, it's just not part of his, his DNA. And I think, um, being able to see a person that truly lives that way on a daily basis is that is, that's powerful because I, you know, I'm, we're, we're all human. We get angry, we get frustrated. And my brother does those things, but the way it affects him is completely different. So I don't, I don't know. I don't know why that's the case, but I see it with a lot of um, people with Down syndrome. It's just not in their DNA makeup. No, that's a really beautiful lesson. He's special. My brother's, I mean, he's brought so many things. I, I think I've also, I mean, I've learned so much just about tolerance and perspective and how, you know, my, my normal is always, it has always included my brother. He's older, he's nine years older than I am. So he, he's always existed in my world. And so my, I, I feel as though I'm, I'm a lucky person because my view of normal is, is a bit wider than some other people's. And I think we could all stand to expand our view of normal from time to time. I think that is beautifully said, expanding our view of normal, uh, because it is what, what is, and that is normal. Um, Thank you so much. I could keep talking on and on, <laughs> but um, I think that's a beautiful sentiment to end on. And I want to make sure that everybody knows um, how to follow you, follow your work, find your book, um, all of these things. Oh, well, thank you for having me. It was great. Um, I loved chatting and I'm always happy to talk about photography. I can talk about it for days, but um, just how, you know, who we are as humans is affected our work is also nice, um, nice to touch on. Uh, so my main, of course, my, there's my website, which has all my information, which is just my name, victoriable.com. My Instagram is really the main place I post. Um, it's really the only socials that I'm on. And, um, my book is available at peanutpress.com. Awesome. Well, we will have all of those links, um, in, uh, in the show notes. And, of course, you can find Victoria Will on Creative Live for her courses, too. I'm Kenna Klosterman, and you've been listening to the We Are Photographers podcast from Creative Live. Follow Victoria Will via her website, victoriawill.com, and at Victoria Will on Instagram. 
At Creative Live, we believe there's a creator and a photographer in all of us. And yes, that means you. If you're looking to get fresh perspectives, inspiration, or skills to boost your hobbies, business, or life, head over to creativelive.com and check out the Creator Pass, our subscription that gives you access to over 1,500 classes taught by the world's top creators and entrepreneurs, including Victoria Will herself. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. You can stay up to date with everything happening here at Creative Live by following us on social media at Creative Live everywhere. Thank you again to Victoria Will, and I'll see you all next week for another episode of We Are Photographers.